Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. This is episode 102, uh, The Scenic Journal. I'm Gumby. I'm Teresa. And we are up here on the Blue Ridge Parkway. We're in Asheville. Um, And we did an episode kind of celebrating what we call home for the most part over the colder months, which is around Durham, North Carolina, um, formerly known as Adchishere, which was nearby what is now called Durham, North Carolina. So we kind of wanted to do a... uh, a uh, what you might call a companion episode for where we spend most of our summer months, which is in the mountains of mostly North Carolina going up into Virginia, um, specifically the Blue Ridge Parkway, but also some of the towns, some of the free campsites and uh, things along the way. So, um, yeah, we decided we, we made some notes and everything, and we tried this earlier in the day, and these guys started like running these machines that were sweeping the field and we were in a cloud of dust it was like oklahoma in the 1930s <laughs> and it just you know, like the constant sound of their machines like being surrounded by lawnmowers i was getting homicidal so yeah we had to stop it was getting pretty crazy <laughs> so we cut and ran went and uh, did some laundry and we've had a really full day but now i feel either tired or calm yeah I could say I feel both of those as well. <laughs> and it's been a productive way we did, day. We try to wash the van once a month, so we finally got around to it today, and the van's all armor-alled and vacuumed and reorganized, and all the, the laundry's done, so it smells super clean. And this is after spending uh, quite a bit of time in the mountains, you know, deeper in the mountains where we tend to, things tend to get moldy and don't really dry out that well if we're in the valleys next to rivers. Um so, yeah, the mountains. Um, <laughs> Teresa, I guess, like, we had these notes and everything. We were going to try to, like, make sure, you know, it's usual, like, we uh, don't leave out things we want to talk about. But after the day we've had, I just said, fuck it. Uh, let's just, like, make this totally flowing and conversational. So, since we've only got probably a couple more weeks, give or take, left in the mountains before it's going to cool off enough for us to head back to Durham, what are some highlights you'd like to share, just off the top of your head, of your favorite parts of the mountains? What do you want people to know about these mountains that you've been calling home for the last three years in the summer? That's a really good question. I would say 
as far as the parkway goes, um, there's plenty of websites that are like how to do the Blue Ridge Parkway in a day or three days or something like that if you have a long weekend. And I would say those websites might be helpful to pack in as much as you can, but savoring the parkway, I think, is a much better thing to do. And even if you can only savor 10 miles of the parkway in a weekend, I say do it that way. The reason being, there are so there's so much to take in. The clouds passing through, um, God, the breeze, the sound of silence, except for, you know, the car that just went past. But the sounds up on the parkway of just quiet. You've got the breeze going through the trees. You've got all sorts of different waterfalls and rivulets and um, gorges that are gorgeous. So, yeah, I would say just take your time. Even if it takes you a lifetime to do the entire 469 miles of the parkway. I say take your time. Yeah. Um, one thing that was unique for us this year, <clears throat> as I said, this is our third year, like moving into the van, you know, we figured out pretty quick. It's too hot in the summer for us to be down in the Piedmont of North Carolina. Um, for us, even with the, the fan that we have. So we've been learning more and more about how to be up here in the mountains. And the first year we kind of like just were driving up and down the parkway. I don't know how many times, like maybe three passes, something like that. And that's what a lot of people do. Um, we spend so much time hanging out at overlooks and like seeing the other people come up here that it's sort of like a drive through like mountain experience. <laughs> and what almost everybody does is they pull off to an overlook that's got this fantastic view of the oldest mountains in the world. These mountains here are considered the oldest mountains in the world, which I just, I love to think about how rich that is with history and experience and memory. And people get out. Sometimes they don't even get out of their car. (laughs) They take out their iPhone. They take a picture. Like there isn't like a hundred thousand billion pictures of the same damn scene. And maybe a little selfie like here I am. You know, something to post on Twitter so everybody can see what a great, fun life they're having. <laughs> then they get right back in their damn cars and they drive off. I call it, well, I, I say Instagram only because I'm not on Instagram, so I like to make fun of that. Um, oh, this is going to look so good on my Instagram. <laughs> and I make fun of it now, but that's kind of what we were doing the first year. <laughs> and uh, that first year, I knew of one free campsite. And we would go there. We'd, like, hit a food pantry in the nearby towns of Lenore or Boone, and then go to this free campsite, which is on Roseboro Road, uh, Wilson's Creek, um, Lost Cove Wilderness. Yeah. Is that what it's of, called? All of those sound right. And I remember telling Teresa, man, think about it. Like, we can be here up to two weeks. If we could find even one more or even two more, we could totally make this work. Dip into town when we need supplies, come up here in the mountains and just, like, live. Like, out here in the some of the most beautiful woods in the world, and also one of the most diverse areas in North America. Um, for that reason, there's all kinds of herbal schools and stuff around here. People come here to learn about plants because there's so much to learn here. Um, and then the year before this, we slowed down a little bit. I think we did like two passes of the parkway, but this year we haven't even finished. Yeah. We're like three quarters down the parkway and it's been over four months So we're moving as slow as we possibly can. We made a tank of gas, and this is a, 
What is this? How old is this van? Like It's a 2006 Toyota Sienna, and we're in 2021, so that's 15 years approximately. 15-year-old van, no hybrid or anything, and we made a tank of gas last a month. <laughs> I mean, that's like just moving slow. So we've been figuring out some stuff and mapping out the parkway. We're calling this the Scenic Journal because uh, the parkway originally was going to be called the Scenic before it started getting called the Blue Ridge Parkway. And... Um, journal because Teresa actually is keeping a journal Um, and Teresa would you want to share because you take a really uh, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for poignant uh, interest in the history like usually when we come (laughs) to like a sign or something you're the one that like really wants to go and read the sign and then say oh well that's interesting and like talk about it and also, you're keeping this journal, so I'd love for you to share anything that uh, you could about that journal and what you're learning about the parkway, maybe even the stuff that doesn't go in the journal. All right. I'm doing this with, with blah. I am doing this without notes, and I may have gotten to be under the influence of an herb. Um, but this is what I want you to know, listeners. The parkway was originally going to be a link between Shenandoah National Park and Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Shenandoah being in Virginia, Great Smoky, I think, in North Carolina and Tennessee. And because Theodore Roosevelt, in his time, he wanted like all these national parks to start being um, created and, and saved so that we could exploit the natural resources in them. And those were all out west. So there were some parks here in on the east coast of North or of um, blah, United States. And they were like, well, we want to link these somehow. So they put aside all this money to start building a road. Which, by the way, didn't get completed until 1987. Did you know that? The parkway? Yeah. Yeah, the viaduct, right? Yeah, the Linco Viaduct. It's like one of the, I don't want to say wonders of the world, but it's it's a pretty interesting piece of architecture. It is. It's really cool to drive. How would you describe the viaduct to somebody who's never seen it? Well, it just kind of feels like you're driving in air. Like you're you're not on a road. You're kind of driving in the air. Yeah, like there's places on the parkway where you've got like a sheer drop, like a great big expansive view on one side, sometimes on both sides. But the viaduct is, I guess the unique thing about the viaduct is it's actually like a road built on not ground, right? It's just they had to create a road basically. Like it's not exactly a bridge. I mean, it's a viaduct, but it's hard to describe what the hell a viaduct is. Yeah, I mean... They really had to build a lot of support for this road to be going around. Um, I don't think it's Mount Mitchell, the mountain, but it's it's close to there. Close to Grandfather Mountain. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's something that's really spectacular to drive, and people, of course, stop and take selfies. And I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a selfie or pictures on the parkway, as long as there's something behind it. But just to get back to what you said earlier, it's kind of like people don't even know what the hell they're taking a picture of. They're just like, ooh, pretty. Yeah, and <laughs> and we've done it. I get it, but it is it is kind of, I don't know, it's a shame to me that you've got like this this beautiful area and that people just drive by it, snap a picture, and like that's what we call 
experiencing a place now. Yeah. I mean, it's not everybody. You know, you do have plenty of paths, plenty of hikers. But the more we slow down, of course, the more we slow down, the more we can look at the people who have it and like, <laughs> oh, those people. Yeah. They're not doing it right. So getting back to the history, I have no segue there. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people know that the Civilian Conservation Corps, which was created in Franklin Roosevelt's time, was it was for men, mostly, I think if if not exclusively men, to have a job during the Great Depression. And they were doing all sorts of work in the national parks and and including the Blue Ridge Parkway. But less people know about, oh God, it's called CPS. I believe it stands for Civilian Public Service. And this group of men were actually conscientious objectors during World War II. And so they were um, mostly, like, religious, uh, belonging to a sect of religion where they they didn't want to uh, be violent. <laughs> so, anyway, these folks, like, were from all different religious faiths, and not only did they help to build the parkway, um, the campgrounds and other buildings along the parkway, but... In certain units of the civilian public service, they were actually used as guinea pigs for um, medical experiments. So check that out. Um, very interestingly, too, there were so many people already up here in the Appalachian, Southern Appalachian Mountains. And I'm not exactly talking about Indians and tribes, although they also existed up here, but that was a lot earlier. That was in like the 1700s. Um, the Sara or Chira Indians, the Cherokee. I think the Sara like branched off and some of them moved up into Canada and became the Sari. <laughs> that was funny. But <laughs> I'm too high to give you. And your high ass forgot what I asked you in the first place. No, no, no. I'm still waiting here about this journal, but please go ahead. I was just talking about the history briefly of, you know, how this parkway came to be in existence. I don't think this is briefly. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, that just fascinates me, like all the different people that this parkway has touched and some of them not in necessarily happy ways. Like there were people that came to the United States to escape uh, persecution in England. They moved up here in the mountains and Gumby on our first take of this, I, I think you described it beautifully, like the Scott Irish who came to the like the Highlands. Actually, of- the park that we're in in Asheville right now, I just read this. It's on a sign up where uh, they have the restrooms locked. And we need to remember <laughs> to talk about Asheville, by the way. Oh, There's yeah. some weird shit going down in Asheville. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, they were describing that. And I thought that was so cool because they were saying the Scotch-Irish, when they came over here, you know, the settlers. And, of course, we can get into a whole thing about settlement and colonialism. But the thing that I thought was cool was that they formed – an attachment and a love for these mountains because it reminded them of where they came from. From Scotland? Yeah, from Scotland and Ireland. Ireland. I, the Irish, as I say in some podcasts. But I, I love that because I feel such an affinity for the mountains. There's something like that just really speaks to me up here. And it's interesting to think like that it might be in my blood, you know, that this reminds me of like my roots, my home. 
because as a white man, you know, I really feel so totally divorced from wherever I came from. Mm. I just feel like I'm, I, my people have been a part of this culture for so long that what history do I have? So even though the mountains aren't my specific history other than just the colonist history we all share at this point, one way or the other, um, it's neat to think that maybe my bones and my blood remember this kind of place. Mm. Just the, the way the air feels, the elevation, like it just feels like if it felt familiar to my ancestors, maybe there's a part of me that it feels familiar to as well. There's this place here. I'm, I'm going to give you another place on the parkway that I thought was pretty unique and cool. Um, I don't know how to pronounce the name. It looks like it is pronounced Brinegar. <laughs> Whoa, hard R there. <laughs> Cabin. B-R-I-N-E-G-A-R. I'm pretty sure that's how you I wonder if his neighbors it. would be like hanging out oh, and each up and they'd say like, What's up, Brinigga? Oh, my God. Oh, anyway, <laughs> there is the old cabin from, I don't know, sometime in the 1800s. And there's also a garden that reflects what the Brinigger family Whoa. grew um, to be able to be self-sufficient, basically, in their mountain homestead. And something that I, ties into what I was just talking about, like the displacement of people. Um, they lived there, the family lived there, but eventually the um, the eldest uh, Brunegger, she, the matriarch of the family, um, she decided to bequeath her cabin to the Blue Ridge Parkway, like the National Park Service, and they let her stay there for the remainder of her years, but she got out of there like 30 years before she died because she said it had just gotten too um, loud, too noisy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember reading that. I love thinking about that because we're up there and like, here's the parkway, (laughs) and like, you know, (laughs) I've heard like back in the day, like, I guess that day, um, People, if they just had a neighbor that would move into the area where, like, you could walk there in a day, like they might move further miles. on and tell people, like, I just, I'm, I don't like crowds. I never have. <laughs> I don't like crowds. <laughs> but I love, like, that's one of our favorite things is we're on the parkway. It was actually like this the other night, come to think of it, where the sun's setting, all the looky-loos are going back wherever the looky-loos go at night. And we're up there, and we have the parkway to ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's rare, very rare to ever see a ranger at night, to ever, like, every now and then a car passes, but it's very, like, dark. I mean, it's just like it, it, the wild owns it at night, the wild and the hobos. <laughs> and it's so nice to look up at that sky, and uh, even if you're not parked under a street light. Usually when you're in town, you look up the sky and you can still see the effects of light pollution. But when you're on the mountaintops, I mean, it really feels like you're in the sky. You're in part of the sky world. You get trapped in clouds sometimes. We're just out in the van and like a cloud will come through and all we can see literally is white all around. Not even a tree, nothing. Complete white out with a cloud. And to be inside of a cloud and get out in the van, it's just like no rain has fallen, but the van is soaking, dripping wet. <laughs> it's like being in a vaporizer machine. Yeah. <laughs> and the nights when the stars are out are so freaking dark. And 
to think, you know, often in those those times when we're sitting on a old stone wall looking out like over this huge view and you can just barely see some quiet little town twinkling down on the lights in the dark valley below and thinking like, wow, I can almost imagine what it must have been like for, you know, maybe an indigenous person who all it was was a trail up here and to come up here and like just hear that wind like nothing but the wild and the abundance and the the beauty i mean the majesty of the mountains so yeah the magic of the mountains is part of like it was hard thinking about what to share on the podcast because that's a hard thing to share you can't take a picture of it it's hard to describe i mean you just got to feel it and i'm sure many of you have places that you know you can like identify that feeling like oh i've been to a place that felt like that to me So I feel so lucky to get to spend all summer in a place like this. It's not without its challenges, God knows, but the gifts of it are just... Any life that has those kind of rivers you can, like, swim in and those kind of views is a fortunate life. Indeed. Um, Some other places... Oh, actually, I was going to mention that Brinegar Cabin, there's an overlook... You just can't leave that alone. Did did Papa John not teach you anything? (laughs) Um, The the overlook or the parking area that's right next to the cabin, we I think we spent part of the the latter part of July Fourth there, and I know we've talked about this in our podcast before, but the Fourth of July or even the Third of July up here on the Parkway is magical. Talking about you know looking out and seeing all these towns, you can actually see where the towns, all the various towns are having their fireworks displays at the same time. Or like a storm off in the distance, and you're like, man, I bet they are getting drenched in that town. Yeah, and there's so many fun people you meet up here. Like, I remember this 4th of July. Of course, we got rip-roaring, like, (laughs) shit-faced. We're drinking some of this, smoking some of this, and so we get our chairs out and find a nice view, and you kind of know it's going to be crowded on the 4th of July. Like, wherever you're at, there's going to be a few other people. So, predictably, there was a few other people. And there's this, like, old, countrified guy on the end that decides he's going to be the DJ. (laughs) So he's playing this old, like, Americana country twangy (laughs) music. And you got all these different kinds of people that show up, and we're watching the fireworks. And <laughs> there's this chick behind us. Was she a biker? She seemed like she could have been a a biker chick, um, like an older one. And what was she saying? We didn't know about a wood woodsy woolly. Oh, wild. Wild Willie or something? Wild Woody or something? Wild Woody, I think. Yeah, she was like sitting there talking about doing some kind of Wild Woody. And she's like, y'all don't know about no Wild Woody. <laughs> you better hush up. And she's, <laughs> she's just talking to the crowd. And then she... uh. <laughs> well, then, then, then she was like saying, she was pointing out that there were fireworks at the overlook they had just left. And she was saying, I knew we should have stayed over there. I knew they were going to have a good view. Oh, Oh, shit. (laughs) And she just kept exclaiming, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, priceless. And we've seen some other, like, van lifers up here. There was, they're not really van lifers. They were in their RV, like, on vacation. But we ran into uh, Joan and her husband. Dave, yeah. Dave. And, uh. Yeah, you want to tell us about, like... <laughs> well, we had just pulled up to that overlook at, um, what was it, Flat Rock? 
Flat Rock, yeah. Which, again, that is a gorgeous place. Um, and there's a trail there, and we were just going to have our coffee and um, probably do our morning routine and, and walk Sherlock there. But this older couple, you know, they, they were in their RV with the generator going, and I told Gumby, I bet they're making their coffee. Um, and then we were, I don't know, we were just kind of out sipping our coffee, and they came over, and we talked for a good three hours or so. And then we ended up... But what up, they want to talk about. Oh, they were talking about all sorts of things. They were talking about COVID and how um, Joan felt like she was a little uh, remiss for, for getting the shot, getting the, the vaccine um, so early. She said that she kind of regretted that. She might, uh, if she had it to do over again, she might not do it. And, um, yeah, just talking about how difficult it's going to be for her grandkids because this world is so messed up and um, all sorts of kind of wrong thinker type di- discussions. And how the internet was from hell. <laughs> you know, well, first liked, I'm yeah. like, I think I agree with you, but I wouldn't word it that way. But now that I've had some time to think about it, I might word it that way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed talking to them because this old couple, they were—they seem to starve to be able to talk about things that are taboo in our culture to talk about. Yeah. They could talk to us about, like, the presidents, about um, politics, about COVID, you know, in, in very, like, politically incorrect ways. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Joan, she teared up twice. One of them was the mountains, you know. We were saying, I was telling her, one of my favorite things about the mountains is when we're, like, thinking about all these problems we've got, you know, and it just gets really stressful. The mountains remind me, like, they're so old. (laughs) Like, they put it in perspective. It's like these mountains were here long before any of this shit was ever started. And these mountains are going to be here, like, after this stuff just blows away, all these problems. So I love the the perspective of the mountains. And uh, Joan teared up when she was thinking of, like, how people don't respect them and leave, like, litter around and just trash the places and how more and more places are just, like, full of trash. And she also teared up when she was thinking about just how uh, how much times have changed. She was saying the mm-hmm. 50s was, like, the best time she'd ever seen. Yeah. And after that, like, you know, it's just been declining, and that was kind of a sobering uh, thing for her to share. You know, I... The older I get, I think the more interested I get in talking to old people. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and there, the hike there is gorgeous because it takes you up to this kind of interestingly potholed rock. And if you're from the city and you've never seen like a, a rock pothole, you might just think, what's the big deal? But these are kind of cool because you're up on this rock ledge and there's water that has collected and for a long time. And then I think the sand from the rock gets in there and swirls around and scours it out and makes it deeper and and bigger. So it's just kind of really cool up there. And there's wild blueberries in July and August. Um, Yeah, lots of blueberries. I I think we saw more blueberries there than any other place. Yeah, and Joan and Dave were actually uh, making a smoothie and putting some of them in there. (laughs) And it looks like a tundra, these great big rocks that like have these little like these big fuzzy patches of moss and lichen Mm -hmm. and yeah we watched the sunset from up there oh yeah well joan and dave we walked with them a little in the afternoon god we spent i think i spent more time with them than i did with like my parents (laughs) when they uh came to north carolina but yeah then they left 
And we went back up for the sunset, and it looked like somebody cracked an egg on the mountain ridge, and the yolk was just sinking slowly behind the tops of the mountains. It was so golden and so good. Mm-hmm. And another, uh, you know, as we're traveling the parkway, another thing that you kind of get to know spending the summer up here is the towns along the way. Mm-hmm. Like the parkway starts in Virginia and um, in a town called Waynesboro, named after Mad Anthony Wayne, <laughs> who went and destroyed food supplies and uh, burned down villages of uh, enemy as well as allied indigenous tribes during the Revolutionary War for uh, General George Washington. So a real stand-up guy then. Yeah. And his name pops up a couple times in history as we were uh, studying the presidents. But, of course, in Waynesboro, they remember him much differently. He's not known as Mad Anthony. He's General Anthony Wayne. And there's <laughs> pictures of him, you know, really upstanding guy. But we got to know that town. And uh, there's so many little towns along the way. There's Floyd that's known for having, like, twice-a-week music festivals in the evening. We have not uh, been there for that yet. We just dipped our toes through Floyd. But they were telling us this old blacksmith we ran into um, at Mabry Mill. At Mabry Mill on the parkway. He was like, yeah, I'm from Floyd. And he's talking about, oh, it's so great. Like, you know, twice a night, you just go there and... Twice a week. Twice a week, yeah. Twice a night. And uh, lots of music. And there's a town we go to called Sparta! <laughs> and one of the funniest things about Sparta is we've got uh, favorite restaurants that we'll stop at at some of these towns. And there's a Mexican restaurant there. And... Um, you can order whatever you want, and she just brings out, like, whatever they decide to bring out. <laughs> she brings out whatever she wants. Yeah. Teresa, like, but ordered something good. one time, and they got the order wrong, and Teresa's like, um, I didn't order, like, whatever it was, and the, the waitress just says, I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> and ever since then, like, we just order whatever, and they bring out something, and it's like, oh, what it's a nice really, surprise. It's really good. <laughs> and uh, Boone, of course, we've got our favorite restaurants there, Coyote Kitchen, and... Uh, and a river, like, there's this tweener spot we've got on, actually, a branch of that new river, right? The south fork of the new river. And yeah, which tweener... is the second oldest river in the world, the new river. And by tweener spot, we mean an in-between spot, even in-between moments of time. Yeah, not where we're, like, hanging out with tweens, yeah. like, skinny dipping or anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> moving on from weirdness. Yeah, into other yeah. weirdness. That but other, that new, um, that new river. What's funny is, you know, the new river. It's like one of the oldest rivers in the entire world. Yeah, I find that ironic. And in the oldest mountains in the entire world, and it has actually created so much biodiversity. Just that one river flowing north from uh, Boone, North Carolina, up to. Somewhere, like somewhere in the Ohio River Valley, I think. So it, it spans several states. And because it is cut so far down into the mountains, you've got like all the stuff that lives along the river and then like thousands of feet up on the ledges. And it's just, it's, it's just really magical. And it also has uh, just become a corridor for species to travel from north to south and south to north. So it's, it's uh, very rich in life. All right, really quick, without thinking about it too much, first thing that pull, that uh, comes out of your mouth, what's your favorite river that you swim in, that you dip in and visit? Oh, oh Curtis Creek. Mm. Describe it. Okay, Curtis Creek is water that basically starts right below the Blue Ridge Parkway. And 
it flows through this wilderness that was the first land set aside by the Weeks Act uh, in like the early 1900s to be designated as like forest land, to stay forest land. And it goes through all these nice like boulder filled little crevices in the in the valley and then you get into the water and there can be really deep places this one place that's like really super my favorite I think it goes up to like my chest and I'm 5'4 um, is that the one by the waterfall yeah the little waterfall and I can the last basically, place we went to there yeah I can basically yeah. stand and just like bend my knees and I go under the water and it's oh yeah that's totally up to your chest if not your chin like right by the waterfall yeah it's generally clear so not only do you have this fresh crisp mountain water but like you can see your feet you can even see like crayfish crawling from I don't know 12 feet away because it's that clear of water and it's private too like you've got these campsites along the way that you can stay out for two weeks for free and it's so easy to find some nice little swimming hole right by your campsite, like this one we're describing. We just go there and, like, take off our clothes and totally comfortable. I mean, we're just protected enough. It's not like a big, long walk. It's, like, right next door to our campsite and sheltered, and we've never been caught yeah. swimming there. And, yeah, just, man, that is a good place. I you? love that river, but the first one that came to my mind was the one we were just talking about. In Boone. The South Fork of the New River, one of the two headwaters of the New River. I just love our spot there especially. We uh, walked this greenway through a park, and to get to this river, you have to like go off this little overlook on an embankment that's got like a little sign there describing something. You crawl down these big rocks, and you have to get in the water and wade up the river. Like, we get right next to the water, take off our pants, you know, get in our underwear, and then, like, wade through the water on the edges where it's shallower, all around the bend. So there's, like, this nice little trip you got to take to get there. And then there's this grassy bank with these beautiful flowers. It's, like, really closed in by a lot of forest. And the water there just sparkles, and there's just something so magical. There's something really chill about that place. Yeah. I mean, every time I go there, I feel like I've been to a holy spot, and I feel... I mean, I always feel renewed by the water, but that one in particular just does something to me. That's a really gentle water, whereas the Curtis Creek is almost like a... I don't want to say a warrior water, but it really invigorates you. It's like, oh, yes, now I'm, like, recharged and reset. Yeah. And if there's anything else you want to say about rivers, go ahead. But I also didn't want to get too far away from towns. Any other, like, uh, like I don't know, highlights of a town that you want to share or a town itself or just something you want to say about a town? <laughs> well, we talked about Lexington. And let's save Asheville to last. Yeah. We, well, all right. We talked about Lexington, Virginia in podcasts prior. And I just really liked that town. It's it's a little bit of a ways off the parkway. You have to go through Buena Vista. Best Burger King in the world. Yeah, it's crazy. There's this Buena Vista that you just go down, 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 down. Boom, and you hit this little, like, town. And the town's... It's like five miles of winding road down from the parkway. The town's not very friendly, was our impression. Except 
oddly enough, that's where Joan and those that old couple we were talking about spending so much time oh, yeah. talking to live at. But everybody else in Buena Vista seemed a little, I don't know, standoffish was our impression. <laughs> so nothing really to make us love the town except for the best Burger King in the fucking world. Like, I don't know if there's like little Buddhas that just kind of like, like a Bodhisattva, like yeah, making it's like somebody that just picks some whatever job and just puts everything they have into it, turns it into an art form. And this guy that cooks burgers at Burger King does that. Like, we just went there the first time, and it's like we got to get some gas. Hey, I'm hungry. Let's just grab something nearby. Here's Burger King, and we get the burger, and we're tired. You know, it's like a kind of a hot day open up that burger and like we bite into our burgers and we're like oh my fucking god are you tasting this holy shit that's good and you might like i thought maybe that was just that one occasion but we've done it the two years since man and that burger king always is like yeah we look forward to it like gourmet food because yeah. at that burger king it is gourmet food yeah and it's interesting because uh we've tried to go to fancy restaurants whether it's on the parkway or not um and generally, it's like, there was another place, I wish I remembered where it was, but it was it was just like, you wanted a BLT, and they made really good BLTs, and it was like, just part of a gas station oh, yeah. convenience store. That was some grill. little town we were just passing through, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so it's, it's pretty cool to just let go of expectations of fanciness, and just go local. But, the... Um, the exceptions to that, I think, would be some of the restaurants that are actually on the parkway, like uh, Peaks of Otter mm-hmm. Restaurant. Like, there's a restaurant there. If you get a chance to go to Peaks of Otter, and I was like, Teresa kind of teases me because I'm always like, oh, we're going to get to Peaks of Otter in a couple of days, or we're almost at Peaks of Otter. Peaks of Otter. Like, I can't help myself. I just look forward to that place. It's got, like, good vibes. But you get there, and it's got a bathroom. It's got a gift shop. It's got, like, a lot of resources that us as van life hobos are really interested in. Like Electrical outlets. Electrical batteries. outlets to charge stuff. And then it's got, um, around the corner, this little free library, which is pretty precious. I think it's the oh, only yeah. one on the parkway. Yeah. Directly on the par- parkway. So... We found some good books, man. That turned me on to Charles Bukowski, Ham on Rye. God, we love that book. So, and there's a restaurant right there that the Little Free Library is with. And they were so nice to us. Like, they let us come in when they were, like, kind of shutting down. They could have just said, you know, we're closed. We had just walked this strenuous trail up to the top of Sharp Top Mountain, which I highly recommend if you want yeah. to be challenged. We decided this year, since we're going slower, we want to like go deeper into the mountains. We've done kind of the shallow, let's map it out type of thing pretty well. So we wanted to like start hiking trails that we haven't hiked. Go look at views we haven't seen. And one of those hikes was this hike to, sh- to Sharp Top. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll give your story back to you. I hijacked it. Oh, yeah. No, it's just, it's an amazing. But tell them about that. It's an amazing view like a 360-degree view of all the stuff in the distance, and I don't know how else to describe it, but it it seemed like an afternoon of time well spent, even though it was really strenuous. And we came back down, and we were, like, hungry and tired. And You're not going to say anything about the view? I mean, I said it, it's... It's kind of hard to describe, but go on and describe it's it. It's really unique. Like, <laughs> it's not, even in the mountains, you, you see these big views, but 
you go to a place like Sharp Top, and you're actually on the peak of a mountain. So you can turn around in a complete circle, basically, and see a view miles and miles out. And that is so unique. That was a magical place, and we had to work so hard to get there. Yeah. And we came down, and we're so hungry that we wanted to try that restaurant. And it was closing, but... There was a like one of those buzzer things, and we got in like right before it closed, and I felt bad. Like, are we gonna just hurry up and get out of here so they can close? But they were like, no, you're here. Take your time. And we had really good like brook trout, the local native trout. It was so good. Oh my god! And you had like everything was good, and it is a little more expensive, obviously, than going to some fast food restaurant. But sometimes, man, it's just. It's, it's special also because these restaurants that are up here, um, a lot of them are reopening not just from COVID, but from, like, failing financially. So they're, they were, like, built in the 1940s and 50s and onward, and now they're kind of coming back into their heyday. Like, what was that other one? Downton Park? There was kind of a, it felt more like a diner than a fine dining experience. But it was, they had really good food there, too. Yeah, yeah, because apparently back in the day, the 40s and the 50s, like, it was kind of a whole thing, the scenic, you know. You'd have, like, these diners along the way that you'd be, like, escaping the oppressive heat of the lowlands. And you come up to these mountaintops, and suddenly there's this road, and, like, car culture is just starting. So you've got your little, like, whatever, you know, one of those old classic cars. And you're up there with your family to have a picnic in this cool mountain air. And there's some diner making fucking, like, rockin' burgers and brook trout. <laughs> I mean, it really was like, I feel like there's something on the parkway that you can still, you got to look for it because all the damn smartphones and, you know, even more of a fast pass through it kind of culture. But there's something about the good old days on the parkway. Mm -hmm. And there's something about even the better old days if you look closer. And what I mean by those is like some of the Indian culture, the, I don't know, some of the spots that just put you in mind of like, man... I bet some native, like, came up here. Like, we just went to a place called Little Butt and Big Butt. (laughs) And it was a a two-and-a-half-mile hike to get there. But this rock that just, you know, must have been there for centuries and centuries. And I would just imagine that the indigenous people of that land, you know, sometimes go up there and, like, it's not some sculpted overlook. It's just a rock that has this huge view of uh, Mount Mitchell. Mm -hmm. So places like that. And then, of course, the... The 50s, you know, the diners and stuff, and then the the settler frontier life that with a Brenigas cabin <laughs> that you're describing. And so, uh, yeah, and at Cherokee, you know, but if we're talking about towns, oh yeah, that's the southern end. The way Mad Anthony Waynesboro is the north end, all the way at the southern end of the Blue Ridge Parkway is Cherokee. The Cherokee Reservation, the Kuala boundary, and. We like to go to Kuala Java, yeah. which is this coffee shop, and there's this coffee called First Fire that we especially really like that's really spicy, but it's this really nice place to sit outside with benches, and it, you just sip your coffee, and it's uh, really, I like getting trying to get to know the people there, um, just trying to be friendly, you know, and a lot oh, of people yeah. there are friendly, and we like meet people there, and you get to hear you know, of course, there's all the tourist stuff. You run into the guy, you know, dressed in the feathers and everything, selling jewelry. He's doing his thing, you know. But it's cool to, like, talk to the people that 
live there that aren't really like I don't know performing for you. Yeah. And like we met this one couple, and James they had and Michelle. yeah, and they had this whole story about like the odds of running into each other in some other country, and like you're from Cherokee, I'm Cherokee too, and how they used to be on drugs and they're kicking a heroin habit, and how the drugs have gotten really bad on the reservation, and uh, the politics, you know, the debate about COVID, how some elders want to close their borders, you know, understandable when you think about the history, but other people are like. All that does is hurt us, hurt our economy, you know, and we're already struggling. We got all this drug addiction and crap. And uh, I really found it interesting that we just talked to a couple of regular folks working at Pizza Inn that were basically homeless themselves and how the guy talked so unselfconsciously about the land differently than I typically run into outside of a reservation. Um, and by that, I mean, he's talking about the river and he's saying, yeah, the river's been hungry and we, you know, try to go out there and like, we did a ritual the other night, a prayer for it. And, uh, more people have drowned this year by far than we've seen in a long, long time. And he said he used to be a first rest, uh, first responder. So he found a couple of those people, you know, tried to save them, but he's, he described the river as being hungry, angry. So they're trying to pacify the river. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like some kind of like, Ooh, I'm going to try to sound all Indian. It was just, that's the way he thought. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so cool. Um, and the signs there are even different. There's a river there. And most of the time, if you see signs along the river, it's like sycamore tree, Platonus occidentalis. And you know, this was used for timber and stuff like that. The signs in Cherokee for one thing, they usually have, like, written in Cherokee, mm. and then in English, if you're lucky, and the English will be something like, this river was called Long Man, and uh, it was seen as, like, the feet reach the ocean, and the head is all the way up here, and, you know, the people have always given prayers and respected the Long Man, yeah. and, yeah, the signs are just so much more interesting, so much more animistic. I was thinking, too, of um, further up north, Pilot Mountain, and I, I always wondered, like, what was it called before there were pilots? And forgive me for my ignorance if pilot was a word that was used uh, a lot more prior to airplane pilots, but just still. I think before airplane pilots, they would use it to describe like the, if they were coming out with a TV show oh. and they weren't sure it was like going to be picked up. <laughs> you Correct me if I'm wrong. Ridiculous. But... Um, before that, I was reading earlier, the Sara or Chira Indians, they called it like the guide. So if you think of a pilot more like a guide, they would look to that mountain because you could see it from so far off in the distance and it's so distinct. Yeah, another distinct mountain that that makes me think of that uh, you can see far from the distance is the Buffalo Hump. Uh, Buffalo Mountain. Buffalo Mountain. I always get the name wrong. But apparently... Um, the settlers, when they moved there, they would tell their children, um, you can go anywhere you want to during the day, just be home by dark, as long as you can still see Buffalo Mountain. And holy shit! You can see Buffalo Mountain from... You can drive miles and still go to an overlook and like, is that Buffalo Mountain, like, way off in the distance? Did we not see it from that fire tower at Hanging Rock State Park? Yep. Yeah, we did. I mean... And it's in Virginia. Hanging Rock is in North Carolina. If you're a kid and without <laughs> any motorized vehicle, you can travel far enough in a day that you can't see Buffalo Mountain, that 
motherfucker is Davy Crockett. Like, he's got nothing to worry about. <laughs> oh. oh, something else. Um, I was talking about the restaurants in Downton Park. Downton Park itself, that walk through the field, I think it's on the Mountains to the Sea Trail, but it's that really unique walk through the, uh, like, the, the rocks that feel kind of hollow. And we met those astronomer, that astronomy club. Oh, yeah, last summer. Yeah. And it's so, like, it's just such a unique place, just a unique feel to it. It just feels kind of, oh, and where's that place that we walk through the uh, the cows? Where's that at? Oh, damn. It might be there. No, I don't think it's Downton Park. Rocky Knob or something like that. It's further hmm. up north. But there's a trail that, it kind of reminds me of Downton Park, because it goes through a field, but this particular field, you have to go through a, a special um, cattle gate. And that place feels really magical, too, that whole place. There are certain places in the mountains that uh, the elevation changes so much, and you get into this place, this, like, the grass changes. It gets really, like, lush and green and super soft, and the evergreens get really thick. And I don't know if you call that alpine or what, but there are places that that's like Teresa's describing, like that, that just are, are so uh, clean. They just feel so fucking clean. <laughs> and the cow pasture. Even the cow pasture. shit everywhere, but it feels cleaner somehow. Last time we walked there, um, I spotted a baby fawn almost right next to the trail. Yeah, we saw a couple baby fawns this spring. And, Sh- and Sherlock didn't notice it, and you informed me that it's probably because fawns have no scent. No scent, yeah. They just rely completely on their camouflage. That was really cool. And, uh, you know, I know we were talking about rivers back, uh, but <laughs> one more that I'd feel like so bad if I didn't didn't mention is Hogo- Hobo Hobo Tiki Camp. Wow, you brought that one up. Yeah. What's uh, what, what's so special about Hobo Hobo Tiki Camp? What, the, where the hell is that even at? We haven't Hobo come to it yet. Hobo Hobo Tiki Camp is somewhere south of Asheville on the Parkway, and it's not directly on the Parkway. Like you start exploring roads adjacent to the Parkway when you start uh, doing it long enough. Mm-hmm. So this is like a road off of the Parkway that you travel down at a little ways, and there's like a little pull off, and then you walk this kind of damp uh, trail through the woods and you come to this creek and it is so frigidly cold it is the coldest creek we go to i remember the first time we took a dip in there like i just i held it together and put on my best (laughs) poker face and looked at Teresa and said wow this is like weirdly hot (laughs) i mean like and there are hot springs in north carolina but that was not and I think I talked talk to you into like getting in it real quick. Like, oh, you got to feel like, you know, you can really feel how warm it is if you like plunge into it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, if you would, if you had balls, they would have like drawn up. I know because <laughs> mine were. And you won't find Hobo Hobo Tiki Camp on the map of the Blue Ridge Parkway or anywhere because that's kind of our name for it. But yeah, exploring just right off the parkway, there are often these twisty, windy roads with pull-offs that I guess are for people to cool their brakes or to let people pass or, you know, some other uh, emergency-type stopping. But then a lot of them will have trails. And some people have, uh, especially if they're right around water, which they usually are, they've made little camps back there that aren't necessarily legal, but, I mean, it seems like everybody just uses them. 
And if you can't find, like, if you live in a van like us and you can't find a legitimate free campsite, a lot of those pull-offs are just fine to spend a night at. Yeah. Uh, we've used them often and have yet to be bothered that I can recall at the moment. Yeah, and then just take a path down to a creek, clean yourself up, and maybe even make some coffee or some lunch. And we've, uh, I remember how uh, we've gotten used to the roads, like... There used to be roads that were so steep I'd be really scared on, and sometimes I just wouldn't take. But now I've figured out what the van can do and how to do it. And so I know roads to put it in first gear because I'm going to burn up my brakes. But as long as I'm in first gear, I'm fine. Just don't be in a hurry. And, like, I know how rough a road can be. There are things I don't want to take the van over because I'm risking, like, getting stuck or bottoming out. But I've learned the height of the van, so there are other things that, like, Teresa's looking at it like, I don't think we should. And I'm like, no, we got this. And I know we got it. (laughs) Speaking of free campsites and crazy, scary driving, Linville (laughs) Gorge Wilderness. Yeah, that's one of the more beautiful places. And it's off of some sort of memorial highway that goes to Lake James in, in North Carolina. And it's very, the sign is very confusing, but I figured it out, and I'm so proud of myself. If you camp in the wilderness, it's by permit only and you're supposed to only be out there like three nights but these dispersed free campsites along this road which is mm, increasingly treacherous as you (laughs) go towards lake james but doable even in our you know old minivan um they have campsites along the way some with spectacular views what's it wiseman's view wiseman's view oh man that one is crazy you're off on this rock that is literally like hanging out over the ledge, it's just the rock that you're standing on, this big platform, and it is a sheer drop. Lots of times there'll be like an overlook, and it's like steep. Yeah. You don't want to fall down it. But this is like, you know, Hollywood sheer drop, yeah. like <laughs> a gorge. And there's a campsite right next to that that uh, if you wander off in the woods to go take a crap at night or something, you better know where you're walking. Mm-hmm. But, and, uh, yeah, that campsite that we stayed at this year... Gumby pulled the van in, and it was probably two feet difference from the left side of the van and the right side of the van. So, the like, pulling into the campsite, the right side of the van was, like, two feet higher than the left. I thought he was going to fall over and hurt himself. And again, like, I've just gotten <laughs> used to driving like that, you know, for the last three years. So I was like, I got this. It was kind of scary, but I knew, like... This is within the safe range. The van will not tip over. It was definitely scarier to watch. Now I, there rode, was... I rode in it one time, and I, I hung kind of out the side of the passenger side because <laughs> I was scared. Now, there was that time, I think the year before in Brevard, that your cowardly ass got out of the van when I had to pull back onto the road. Oh, man. After we pulled off to take a dip in the river. Yeah. Now, that... I wasn't so sure I would tip over. I just had to, like, I'm like, I got to get out of here. I might as well, like, be optimistic and, like, all right, I got this. But I was thinking, oh, shit. Uh, yeah, so, but the parkway itself, I mean, excuse me, I'm getting tired after a long day. The, uh, the parkway itself has so many campsites to offer. Like we said, at first we only knew about Wilson's Creek. How many different free campsites would you say? Not the individual campsites, but the locations that usually have several campsites. What's the average number you think we've found so far? Oh, I think maybe there's seven seven or so different 
campsite locations? Seven or so, and those are the ones closest to the parkway. If you're willing yeah. to go like 20, 30, 40, 50 miles, way more. So, Especially in Pisgah National Forest. So you said about seven that we found so far close to the parkway. Yeah, like virtually like right off the parkway, like Victor Road. And the average that you can stay at these is two weeks at a time. Um, some three weeks, some a week, but mostly two weeks. So you do the math. How much camping you can do for free and then dip into one of these like delicious little towns we're talking about. And you get to know each one. It's got its own like personality, its own like things you look forward to that that town offers. Yeah. Um, it's really charming to do that. And then the most of the campsites are in the lowlands, so you get to go down there. You've got a river, washing dishes, washing yourself, swimming, uh, been meaning to get around, getting around to try to fish. We did try to fish at, um, what was that called? Basin Creek Campground. Yeah. Yeah, come to think of it. And But things stay pretty wet, and so we've learned to kind of alternate. Go down there, camp for a while, and then take our time at the overlooks. Like, spend a couple nights slowly traveling to the next free campsite, because then it's so much cooler up there. You don't have the nearby water for the most part, but you've got, like, sun and breeze and stars and things dry out. So alternating has been really important to me. Indeed. And what else do we want to... Well, since you're tired and we're kind of closing up this episode, one thing that we need to talk about since we brought it up is Asheville. Oh, my God. Since we're talking about towns. And we're in Asheville right now in in a park that has... The the dude that lives in his van in this park just pulled up. He's, like, here all the time. I think it's just, like, his park. We're in his yard. (laughs) We're parked in the same parking lot. (laughs) All right, this park in Asheville has various locations for bathrooms. I'm looking at one right now. It has the fucking white on in it, but it's locked. And they have this really nice soccer complex where we tried to do the podcast earlier in the day. Bathrooms, locked. Water fountains, of course, off, although there is one water fountain that works. The other day, I had to take a shit, and I I really... I really considered smearing that shit all over the Parks and Recreation office door because I could not find a bathroom to shit in. And it's a, I mean, it's a park that's not, it's not easy to go in the woods, but I did, but it was like really not a great place because you're surrounded by this beautiful river. I didn't want to shit near the river. You're nasty. I am nasty. See, this is why it's not pleasant, like, earlier when the, the people were pissing you off and we did the first podcast, because Teresa gets shit-smearing mad. <laughs> you don't want to be around nobody that gets shit-smearing mad. <laughs> I ain't just throwing it. I'm rubbing it in. Yeah, it's worse. You can dodge somebody throwing it. You can't dodge a smear. What else? Can I say about Asheville that well, happened this afternoon? Well, here's what I've been today. saying about Asheville. Asheville, to me, feels like the Portland, Oregon of North Carolina. Totally is. And it feels like it's run by kids. Like, there's a house, and all the adults have left, and the kids were like, Woohoo! We can do whatever we want! But Asheville feels like... A few weeks have passed since then. <laughs> the party. And the laundry is piling up. The and party's over. Nobody's doing the dishes. Nobody's eating. People are getting hangry. And the party is definitively, definitely over. <laughs> 
And it has taken a big nosedive this year. This is our, you know, we come up here every summer, pass through Asheville in our route. But, man, it's like, I don't know. There's homeless people everywhere. And, and this is not just COVID. There's something unique about this city that you were saying in our first take. Like, it's it kind of bills itself as a place that's, like, really progressive and wants to take care of people of all walks of life and then you get here and it's a fucking shit show i feel like leftist places often will get in this trap where they want to like oh we're the bleeding heart people we want to help the homeless we want to really like create an atmosphere of like we're cool you're cool we're all cool but what happens is they don't understand homelessness themselves there's a lot of privileged people that are behind the scenes, like college kids and stuff, that don't understand what is involved in that. So homeless people will come because of the resources, because it's, you know, sold as like a hip, cool town. And then the resources eventually will not match the homeless people. So you get like kind of a collapse situation. We saw it in towns in California. Yeah. Just like, I mean, of course, we're homeless ourselves. So it's kind of weird for us to be talking shit about the homeless. But you go to a town and there's homeless people like sleeping on the side of the street. We saw that this morning. There are just homeless people everywhere. Even though I'm homeless myself, that is not a good sign for the town when there's homeless people everywhere. Sleeping on the side of the street next to the golf course. Yeah. With their... Which is a beautiful contrast yeah, grocery. in I mean, Asheville. I, it actually really would have been a good picture. There was a lot of colorful things in their grocery cart. And they were kind of just laying there in the grass, like, um, yeah, very helpless. And then there's these, you know, privileged people in the background playing golf. I know I always bring up South Park, but God damn it, they do good satire. <laughs> and there's that one episode that, like, it's just like this. It's... uh. You know, it's it's a mockery of Night at the Living Dead and the homeless people. Like, there's a few that come in, ta- in the town, and they're like, don't give him any money. And Stan ends up, like, out of desperation, giving a guy some money, and they're like, no, don't you know what you did? And then more homeless people show up, and they're like, change, instead of brains. <laughs> and it's just so good. They take over towns. But that literally freaking happens. But it's not even just... It's not the, just the homeless it's people. It's not just the fact that they lock bathrooms in the park. It's not just the fact that they put locks on electrical outlets and dumpsters. It's not the fact that the little free food pantries that we find so beautifully taken care of in many other towns along the in the mountains in the parkway in Asheville contain well, no. moldy-ass food that's out of date anyway. No, it's worse. So it's not just that other places are better off this year. It's that Asheville was better off last year. It has taken a nosedive this year. There were parks that were totally, like, homeless-friendly, and now for suddenly for the first time, there are uh, the bathrooms are locked. And then there are places we used to hang out that suddenly for the first time, the outlets have been actually removed, and the one that they still have out there has a lock on it. <laughs> there are places that we've been before, and suddenly for the first time, there's a sign that say restrooms out of order, and you know the cashier there isn't spending eight hours with no place to piss. These are all things that a town you start seeing in a town that is going to quiet war with the homeless people. And this happens because the government is being all bleeding heart, you know, like, oh, we're going to, like, be cool with homeless people. But they don't know how to handle the problem. 
So it gets out of control, and then the small business businesses are left to fend for themselves because, let's face it, I'm saying this is a homeless guy. Who the fuck wants a bunch of homeless people just hanging around your place? A lot of homeless people are hooked on drugs. Lots of young homeless people in Asheville. Yeah. You know, the kind of the designer drug crowd. We, yeah, go ahead. And lots of homeless people have mental illnesses. It's a fucking fact. Yeah. We stayed in the Walmart parking lot last night just because I happened to run into an old friend of mine and she's living in her van. And it's just, I was coming out of the Walmart and there she was and it was, I hadn't seen her in years. So anyway, randomly, um, got back in the van after Gumby had been wondering where I was for an hour and just watched a steady stream of young homeless people going into the woods nearby um, kind of at the end of a fence, just going in with their flashlights, and that's uh, that's Asheville for you. But again, not just the homeless people. There's a certain level of craziness that has been ratcheted up this year. Yeah. And and I'd like to say I'd I I'd like to think that we're not the reason why those things have changed that you mentioned, like the outlets and the bathrooms and stuff like that. Well, we only spend like a few days in Asheville. It's just yeah. part of our route. So I don't think in this case that we are. We definitely made a small contribution to it probably. But, you know, we tend to just do our thing and mo- move on. You know, Low I don't impact. think I don't think we're making big ripples. But there are people that don't know when to leave. Like don't know. Man. Like the Yeah, like the guy sleeping in the ditch beside the golf course. That kind of shit gets noticed, you know? That's somebody who's not worried about, like, not making big ripples. That's somebody who just, it's not on their radar. They're just like, eh, heroin wore off, boom, dead stop. So, yeah, it's just, as Teresa's saying, I mean, we were talking about the homeless, but, I mean, there was a manager at McDonald's that just the random time Teresa went in there is burst into tears. She's getting complaints. One guy's complaining that, like, his order's not right. There's uh, complaints about people aren't wearing face masks properly. You've got extreme wokeism mixed with extreme, like, uh, I, I don't I know. I would if... say at wit's end. Like, there's people that are, you know, maybe they thought they were woke, but they get here, and it's just impossible to keep up the ideals that they thought they were able to espouse. So they're just fucking losing their shit. Yeah. I just went to, and look, I'm being very consumery in this episode. So I'll admit, uh, we had to wash all our clothes. I needed to get enough laundry detergent to make an impact on the stank that we had going on, especially with Sherlock's dog blanket. So I did go into the closest place that was nearby, which was a CVS. And I got this laundry detergent that was like half price. And I pick up the jug and it's fucking half full, half empty. So what did I do? I picked up another jug and I made it full for the damn price. Because wow, I would not have guessed that you would have said that it was half full. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm very pessimistic. But <laughs> it was. And I couldn't believe it. That's the type of shit that people pull at, like, flea markets that they're trying to, you know, sell watered-down laundry detergent. Here's CVS Pharmacy, uh, National, you know, Pharmacy, and they're selling shit that's not even close to being full. At the price that they're offering it, they should have just told me, look, we're selling you half of it, so it's half price. And the manager at that store, like I went to the register, it rang up wrong. And I'm thinking, man, what is going on? I know these are small things, but it's like all in one day. (laughs) 
I was hearing a whole lot of like loud arguments among people in the Walmart parking lot as I'm waiting for Teresa. It's just, it seems like, and, you know, not to talk too much about Asheville, but something, there's a bad moon on the rise in Asheville. That's what it feels like. There's signs of stress everywhere that we didn't run into before. And I don't think it's just Asheville. I think Asheville is maybe the canary in the coal mine around here. That it's sort of where every place is going to head if if things don't change um, for the better, and yeah, just to balance it out, Asheville is a has some really cool things going for it. Like my favorite part of Asheville is the river that runs through it. Um, it's another one of those rivers that feels like especially good. Mm-hmm. Um, the Swannanoa. Yeah. Yeah. So the Swannanoa River, the Golden River, is. You know, that's what we call it because we get Mike on our skin and uh, in our clothes when we wash them here. And it looks like it shimmers like gold. But really good river and good places in Asheville. But, yeah, it's taken some hits. Signs of decline. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to um, getting the hell out of here and heading toward a more sane place. And to close out this episode, speaking of getting out of here and where we head... What is something you're looking forward to? Something you've seen before that we haven't seen yet up ahead? Hmm. I really like that overlook outside of Cherokee where we saw the elk. Remember that? Was that last year? Oh, yeah. That picture that you've got on your laptop with me and Sherlock is at that overlook. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's another really cool thing about the parkway is they released elk. Elk used to live here. Um, Not for quite some time. So they released them back into the mountains and the elk uh, relocated themselves and they all fled to the Cherokee reservation. (laughs) And I think that's cool. I don't know, of course, why, but I like to think that there's something in the elk that remembers something in the Cherokee and they remember this long relationship that they have with these people and that they just like something in them wanted to be there around their known neighbors. Um, but yeah, it's pretty magical to to encounter a fucking elk in the the North Carolina mountains. So Ooh. unexpected. And remember, there were elk even in the town of Cherokee along the Longman River. Yeah. I think it's the O'Connell Lufty River. I could be wrong about that name. I like Longman better. Yeah, but yeah, there were. I guess O'Connell Lufty were... means Longman. No, I don't think so. But oh. um, yeah, there were elk that were walking like in the the water, like right on the edge of the river and on the pathway where humans were. They were just totally chill. Yeah. And they're huge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. What about you? What are you looking forward to? God, I was just thinking about that. All right, the first one that popped in my head was Graveyard Fields. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And John Rock right near it. Oh, yeah. So, like, I think of the parkway sometimes in sections. It's not just, like, this overlook. It's, like, this whole section that might involve, like, three or four overlooks has a similar feel to it. And Graveyard Fields, Teresa got caught washing her ass, which we've mentioned a couple <laughs> times. We thought we found a private place. And, like, I'm the lookout because it's not quite – we're not quite secure enough to assume it's that private but it uh, turns out there was a trail on the other side of the river. <laughs> Teresa's cranking on her ass, washing it, like literally washing her ass. Yes. And the mother, like, that sees her stops and, like, turns around and stops her family, like, oh, I can't unsee it, but save yourself. You don't need to see this. Go back. And I'm telling Teresa, Whoa. like, there's people right there. And Teresa says, nuh-uh. And she keeps cranking on her ass. 
So <laughs> there was that. That clean no matter what. But great. Aside from that, we eventually did find a place upriver that it's like, oh, here's the private place. If you just scout around, you find that tweener spot. Oh, and there's a there's a really mucky, muddy trail that we walked barefoot, which was the well, yeah, I was getting way. to that. But that river, like. I'm looking forward to bathing in that river, which we've only done once before, but it was one of those, like, really super clean, magical-feeling rivers. And the trail Teresa was just describing on the other side of the river is this long trail, and so much of it is really muddy. So if you go barefoot, it's so delightful. There's so many different kinds of mud and puddles. And, uh, yeah, it was just really, like... There's certain trails that are, like, muddy in a bad way. You're like, ugh, that's kind of gross. But this one felt, I don't know, there's a lot of soft grass and stuff. Oh, yeah, it was perfect. It was a perfect barefoot walk up to a waterfall. And right past that is this little overlook called John Rock that, uh... It doesn't. It's, it doesn't look like much at all. It'd yeah. be a really easy overlook. Just like I don't even know why they have people going here and drive through. But if you start walking the trails, they like go to these magical places, and you can tell other people have treated them like magical places and too. It, and that, that trail, I cannot. I'm not saying it's impossible to find. I'm sure there's something out there that if I put my mind to it, I could figure out what that trail is. But it's not on any map, nor is it. It's not signed or anything. You remember that box? Like, there was somebody who thought that was a really magical place because they stuck this weird... A wooden box with, like, a a pencil and and some other objects that were, like, sacred to them. Yeah, it it looked like somebody's treasure box or something that they put in those woods by John Rock. It was something that had been there for, like, 20 years, not 200. But it it was really cool to think that maybe this had been somebody's, you know, sacred place to come and... Have a vision quest or come and do, you know, write poetry or something. Commune with nature. But that trail, it just keeps going and going and it, it isn't signed. There's no indication of any sort of trail around there. So I don't know what it is, but it's really cool. And you eventually do see a really nice view. Yeah, so that's just one of the things I'm looking forward to. And my last question to, to finish this episode is, what would you want to say to the mountains? Oh, oh man. I feel so taken care of by the mountains. I don't think I'm under any sort of... Um, what am I trying to say? I don't think I'm naive that it's, it can be dangerous here, but there's just some sort of feeling being in these mountains. And we've talked about this before, that it's like they want us to be here. And I don't know, that sounds so anthropomorphic. It's like, it's like this is a cradle for us. Like it's a really nice place for humans to be if we respect it. And I don't know if that really makes sense, but I just feel like I just, I owe a lot to the mountains. It's, they're, they're like a cradle of humanity. And I would just tell the mountains that I am so thankful that, um, you know, as other places have gotten more developed and changed, I feel like more survives in the mountains of what they've always been. There's something that feels more intact here. And I'm really thankful for that. I, I would thank the mountains for the, the wildness of that. Um, yeah, intact is the word. That's the one that keeps coming to me. Like mm. something that has been 
broken, hopefully not beyond repair, in so many other places that I've been that I don't even see it anymore until I come to a place that feels more intact. And then it's like, oh, wow, something connects here. Something feels so old. And I want to thank the mountains for being such an escape. We come up in the mountains and like everybody feels it. As Teresa commented during the the lockdown, the pandemic last year, even the Asian people aren't wearing masks. <laughs> like people feel that freedom. They go up there and it's like we we're in health. You know, this is health. It's in the air. It's in the water. It's growing out of the trees. I can. I mean, like I'm right in the sky country. It's the cleanest place in the world, and it just. Even people that are diehard mask wearers will often, like, take off their mask up there. People speak freely. You know, there's, like, a a freedom up there, a freedom of speech. Uh, It changes people. It affects people. And it's not just us. Because I know when we come back down and we start interacting with people who haven't been up in the mountains for that time, that they're not fresh out of the mountains, yeah, they just don't. I feel like, it I don't know, connected. they're kind of more beaten down or something, yeah. yeah. So whatever the, the mountains give us, um, solace, uh, magic, protection, wildness, whatever all that is, I am very thankful, and I thank these old, ancient mountains for that. Um, like you said, a cradle. I totally get what you're saying. I feel like a big, old, warm hand that's just like letting me rest there. And it's like, I got you. And, you know, as much as it's controversial to talk about the parkway being, you know, like this road, this structure that has gone through the beauty of the mountains, I I don't know how easy it would be for us to come up here and see all of this. I mean, you know, like, if there wasn't a path that was cut, I don't know if I'd be bushwhacking to see all this stuff. So I have to say thank you for the, the parkway being here. Yeah. Definitely. I uh, feel the same way. I don't agree with, you know, how the parkway came to be, what it represents. There's a lot of things that if I choose to look at that, um, I have negative feelings towards the parkway. But I can also change my perspective and see how that parkway has enabled us to be up here. Mm -hmm. Like you said, I don't how many dirt roads would we have had to explore? A lot of them we wouldn't have been able to navigate if the parkway wasn't here. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it helps us access the sky country, so that's cool. Yeah. And uh, we almost broke the dog, too, by the way. Oh, my God. I took him while Teresa was gone the other week on some really long hikes. That were strenuous. Not really just, strenuous. Not just lengthy. Baby. And Sherlock's almost 12 years old, so, like, for the past few days, he's just, like, basically, like, one leg has not been working. He doesn't want to move around. But today, he's been getting better, so... He's uh, using that leg again and everything, but I think I he really wore himself out, just hit a wall. <laughs> so we're going to have to rethink about our long hikes and what to do having a dog. Yeah. Uh, he, he, I don't think he's up for it anymore. Maybe we could get like a, a bigger remote control car. He could just sit in and we could drive him around. Yeah, I could build like a Travoy and you could just drag it. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so I guess if we're ready for our listener write-in. Is there anything you want to add before I move on to that? No, I I don't. I don't want to add anything. All right. If you think of something, we can go back to it. But our listener write in. This is Brett from Philadelphia, PA. Hey, Teresa. Hey, Gumby. Thanks for a good podcast. I've been listening for a while now. I also live out of a Toyota Sienna. Four and a half years so far. I've been trying out the lifestyle. 
Wow, four and a half years. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. He's got two years on us. Yeah. Um, life is so much better barefoot, isn't it? I have a podcast as well. It's called Echo 13. Have a listen if you want to. There's various talks on there ranging from educational to silly. Music is a center point of my life for a long time now, and there's some albums that I published there as well. If you guys are ever around the Philadelphia, PA area, drop me a line. It would be nice to hang out a bit, go for a nature walk, or something. Okay, well, that's about all the words I have for now. See ya. Hey, you missed a little bit of it where he says he's been going barefoot for, where is it, three and a half years. He's a full-time barefooter for three and a half years. Oh, wow. Full-time. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And um, the other thing I was going to say is he was from Philadelphia. We we stayed, when we were hitchhiking, somewhere in Philadelphia outside of Fracktown. And I know frack, fracking, right? Um, it's Pennsylvania. It's a mixed bag what you get. And Philadelphia is definitely a challenging city to be in when you're hitchhiking as well. But that forest that was just in the town by, like, some technical college, man, remember how beautiful that was? It was like such a crisp night after the rain, and we were, we had our hammocks. That was up. near Philadelphia. No, it was Fracktown. I it was in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. But it was just some random like piece of the forest that had been saved through all of the you know times that Pennsylvania has been I don't I, know industrialized. I love Pennsylvania. It's a beautiful state. I've always hated Philadelphia. Every time I've gone through it, it smells like shit. I mean, like <laughs> literally backed up sewage. But Brett. Uh, if you've been living there in Philadelphia, I'm sure you know some much better, wilder places than that. It's like if somebody just randomly went to Durham and they yeah. didn't know like where Horton Grove was yeah. or what was that rock, River Rock, Rajashir is. I forget. Yeah, but some of the beautiful spots oh, we know. Hollow of, Rock. Hollow Rock. Yeah. Yeah, some of our favorite spots in Durham, you know. So that's probably me in in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if we're ever up there, going for a walk sounds good. And um, his podcast is Echo 13. I downloaded it once, and I don't think we ever listened to it. I don't see it in my uh, lineup, so I don't know if it got accidentally erased or whatever. But yeah, still got to get around to uh, listening to that. Um, so, yeah. Um, anything else you want to say to that? Uh, I I don't have anything else to say except thank you for writing in and listening to us. And, yeah, we'll have to re-download. <laughs> Bless you. And the Toyota Sienna. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely, if I got to buy another van and I was going to live in it, I'd be looking for a Toyota Sienna. I've been really impressed with this one. It hasn't really left me feeling like it's lacking in any way. Oh, one thing I have to add that has nothing to do with Brett's listener write-in, but um, my friend that moved into a van, she moved into a van like four years ago-ish. And she doesn't really live in her van full-time. She kind of like travels around and does different things. She's It sounds like she's she's a um, in her 60s uh, nurse, and it sounds like she's got a really good balance going. Like she works four months out of the year as a nurse, Two months out of the year, she travels to, like, the southwest or Mexico. And then the other six months, she just, you know, does different things. Visits with family, travels around, whatever. Um, But her Dodge Caravan, she doesn't have a Toyota Sienna, had removable seats that were originally just supposed to be, like, stowaway seats that fold down into the floor. And she said that there's so much space 
in the floor where she took out the seats that she still hasn't filled it up yet with her belongings. And she only has her stuff in her van. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And I wonder if other versions of the Toyota Sienna that have stowaway seats, if you could take them out, if it would have the same amount of space. Hmm. So, yeah, that's all I wanted to say about van life. Good Just, questions. Yeah, Good questions. yeah, yeah. It's totally random, but I don't know. Maybe somebody out there listening will, will have an answer for me. Yeah, maybe. So thanks for listening, Brett. Um, check out our Facebook page, Escaping Society. Um, please send us a message. We love getting um, any kind of write-ins from our listeners at www.escapingsociety.weebly.com. B as in Blue Ridge Mountains no. dot com. Blue Ridge Parkway. Blue Ridge Parkway. Well, I'm going with the mountains. Okay. I just did that off the top of my head. You don't even know that how was, talented I am. I could not think of anything. No I appreciation. Always, that's why I always say boy. I just gotta let it go and something comes out. Sometimes it's just like blah, 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 blah. But I did better this time. And we have a donate button if you are able and so moved. Um, any donations help us get further down the road. We appreciate them. We need to fix our um, band door. Yeah, we've actually gotten some generous donations. Um, yes, thank you very much. Yeah, we tend not to, like, I know some people like to, like, say, thank you, so-and-so, but I never know if their donation is, like, if people would want that. So we just tend to keep it between us. Like, yeah. hey, thank you, you know who you are. You know who you are. We you funded you. some hobos, so we don't want your friends to hate on you for that. And for the rest <laughs> of you, go to hell. Just kidding. It's like giving a homeless person change. Change! Write to us if you are not able to um, to make a donation. If you feel so moved, write to us or leave a review. Questions, comments? Yeah. And, yeah, please give us a review and give us uh, five stars if you think we deserve it. Um, those help get our podcast out to be heard by more listeners. Um, I think sometimes we get into some stuff that should be shared. And sometimes we get into stuff that probably shouldn't have been shared, but, well, there it is. Um, anything else? We shared this information with you and with the hopes of inspiring you. But if you come up to the Lourdes Parkway and you fuck up our shit, we're going to know who you are. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and thank you to these mountains. I'm really, like, thankful to be up here. And like I said, this is kind of our... Uh, one of our little ways of kind of closing out the season, because pretty soon we're going to be heading back down to Durham, which has got its own sets of pluses and minuses, but <laughs> it sure ain't the mountains. Knoxville East. <laughs> bah. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no address.